John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 566.MT2413, certificate number 19046. Hang in there, baby. Hang in there, baby. You said it, kitty. Copyright 1968. Hmm. Determined or not, that cat must be long dead. That's kind of a downer. I don't, you know, I've never asked you this. I don't have a picture of your bedroom as a child. Did you share it with your brother? You don't, like, I've never given you a picture or you don't have a mental picture? I don't have a mental picture. I've never, you've never given me a picture of anything. I had my, I never had in my own bedroom until senior year of high school. It, so was, it was always me and my brother. Did you, you have bunk beds? We did. Oh, wow. Guess if I'm a top or a bottom. And then guess about bunk beds. I, I believe... That the bottom bunk is the more logical of the two for an older brother, but the top bunk, of course, being the dominant, you know, strictly dominant position. But I think you're a bottom bunker. I think, if I remember, I think I got first pick. Yeah. And I think I wanted top bunk. Oh, and so you did. You were top. My whole life. A little ladder. Uh, I love top bunk. Do you you think bottom bunk is more prestigious? No. In prison, I think you might be right. The bottom bunk is the one you can put your feet on the floor. Yeah. I think uh, we had a bunk bed, but we never had to, my sister and I never had to share a bedroom, but her room had a bunk bed. And sometimes she would get scared in the night and I would go in and sleep on the bottom bunk uh, while she slept on the top. I think at least both. No, maybe just one of my kids actually had the bunk bed, even though they had their own rooms, it was bunk bed above desk. Yeah. It's like, here's the coolness of a top bunk and you don't have to share your room with your dorky little brother. Yeah. My daughter had that too, but you know, it's just an Ikea thing. I think we, I think that's what we had to. (laughs) But, uh, so you and your brother, when you think about your, your childhood bedroom, how did you decorate the walls? Hmm. I picture, I picture like a baseball poster um, we had a Seahawks poster, Seahawks poster, I remember, which I which I kept, and now uh, Dylan actually has it because he likes vintage sports stuff. Does it have Brian Bosworth on it? It has 80s era players, but you know, you would have had to take the picture during the 18 seconds that Bosworth was on the roster. <laughs> it definitely has Dave Craig and Kurt Warner on it, probably Largent, and, and John you, L. Williams. And you had it up with thumbtacks? Yeah, it's something, you know, we lived in Korea where framing was really cheap. I don't know oh. if I've mentioned this, but I once walked across Korea. Oh, tell me more. Uh, so, like, you could frame anything 
cheap. So if my parents liked any poster, like they had a series of like Washington State fairies posters and they were like, oh, sure, we'll frame all these. And now they have like a, like to this day, I think their hallway is some line of super nice vintage State fairies posters because you could do really nice custom framing for you know nothing in Korea in 1982. Futureling should know that in Seattle in 2022, it is not cheap to frame a thing. Oh my gosh, it is so expensive, way more expensive than anything you could have framed. Like estimate it, knowing that it's going to be expensive, and it will still be twice that. Yeah, the uh, like I spend, I have spent so much time just trying to find ready-made frame, cheap ready-made frames that'll fit something just because I do not want to pay $800 for some stupid mat and frame. Mat and frame. I My daughter painted a, a what I thought was a kind of a precocious and lovely painting. And I was like, I'm going to get this framed. And I went down to the frame shop in, uh, in Columbia City. And they were like, you know, super friendly. And we worked on it for a while. Like, I want this and I want that and this mat and that mat. And they were like, okay, great. Well, that's $460. Here's your loan application. And I was like, are you kidding? This is just some painting my daughter did. But I was, you know, I was too deep in it by then. You have to tell your kids only to paint things in, um, you know, standard, yeah, standard, 11 standard by aspect ratios that <laughs> Joanne's carries. But what else did you have on the wall? Mm, see, now that you say this, I'm trying to remember what else was on the wall. I feel like I may have like tacked up. Like we, I probably tacked up things that we probably tacked up things that we had drawn. Yeah, we each had a desk. At one point, there was a clock, a Garfield clock with a with a tail and eyes. Like, nah, a, like I wish a that would be awesome. Do they ever sell the cat? Those? It may have just been a giant watch. Uh huh. Um, but I think we both hated the ticking, so I think it was just a dead. It looked like a giant wristwatch hanging okay. on the wall. Can you picture this? Yeah. With um, Garfield up there, just hating Mondays like he does. Yep, he does, man. Uh, he loves lasagna. Is that right? Yeah. And we just hated that. And so it just hung there, not ticking for He took years. the battery out. I don't know. Maybe I should, I should text my brother right now and ask him what hung, what hung on our See if he has childhood well. walls. Did you have like, um, did you have music posters? No, it varied. You know, I had, um, I had like, skiing posters of 1970s ski dudes uh jumping off of of snowy slopes and doing back scratchers i had at one point what would i have had uh, there was a saint Pauli girl at one point well i was gonna ask did you ever have like but she was ironic oh you never had like a, a an unironic Farrah Fawcett or there was a there was a uh, I was at the Sullivan Arena and for some reason I was there during the day with my dad and I was backstage in the locker room uh, the hockey locker room or hawker room as we call it and there was a poster this was 1979 there was a poster of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders (laughs) and I actually you know, secreti- secretly unpinned it from whatever corkboard it was on, rolled it up, and snuck out of the Sullivan Arena with it under my arm. Like, it was one of the few things I ever stole in my childhood, and I was embarrassed by it. I was embarrassed that I liked it, and so I taped it up inside my closet so that you had to open the closet door and it was there. My mom had to know it was there, but... 
uh, no one else could see it. It wasn't on my wall, but I had it in the closet. And this was before I even knew about touching oneself. I just liked to look at the cheerleaders and marvel at them. But were you aware that they gave you a feeling that no other, that no highlights for children poster could give you? They were so pretty. And I didn't know what to do about that. To this day. I still am just You still like, don't know what to do about The Dallas Cowboy <laughs> cheerleaders. Uh, and I, I didn't, so I, was, I wasn't old enough to be allowed to have the Farrah Fawcett poster, although I certainly knew about it. And then that was the gener- that was the era of the Cheryl Teagues poster and the Bo Derek poster. Like every I, everybody I, had a poster. I'm a little younger, but I remember just actually thinking it a little bit. I remember frowning on when my I'd go in my friends' bedrooms and it turned out they did have that Heather Thomas poster or yeah. a Heather Locklear poster, or some other Heather. I I just remember thinking you know, this isn't the service station. Yeah, that's my right. My friends, what what are, what are we what are we doing here? Yeah. A bikini girl. I, I have the your, same. Your mom is okay with this? Exactly. I have the same feeling, although the, the Dallas Cowboy poster was a secret uh, vice. Secret shame. But then on, uh, on my walls in high school, I got, there was a poster of the Beatles. There was a poster that showed every um, iteration of the Porsche 911 <laughs> up to 1983 or whatever, like everyone from 1965 to present. Um, my, by the way, coming up blank, my brother says, I don't remember us having anything on our walls, actually. Yeah, there had to, you had to have had something. He asks if I had a world map up, and that's a good point. I think I did have a world map. But, you know, I'm, I'm having this flashback now to realizing that one of the reasons why we didn't have a lot of... Um, Stuff on our walls is because we were like renting an apartment. Oh, and you weren't allowed to put holes in the walls. Yeah, all these Korean apartments were um, poured concrete, and oh. then they would put wallpaper right over the concrete. Ooh. So nothing you could, do, everything you did would put a hole in wallpaper and irritate your landlord. So you, you couldn't hammer a nail. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't. You couldn't do anything. My parents. I, I remember this when when we when we hung things on our wall, unless they were in frames. We actually ha- they would make us. Um, thread a straight pin through the wallpaper through the oh. corners of the thing because you could remove that without actually oh you know losing your deposit how interesting that's that's pretty that's I, pretty technical i just had some crazy flashback to hanging things with straight pins and knowing that we would get in so much trouble if the wallpaper showed a, a, any kind of tear you had to be very very uh, meticulous to hang things with straight pins <laughs> what, a, what a weird thing to do in yeah. hindsight yeah uh yeah, so you're lucky. You you American scotch taping. That's right. Scotch taping Porsche posters to your walls and and Warren Miller movie posters. In in uh, college, my freshman year, uh, my dad actually flew me to college in his little plane in his 182. <laughs> and when I got, did to, you land on the football field? No, we didn't. We landed at uh, the local airport, and uh, we had in the plane all those aviation maps. Of uh, the different part, you know, we flew down through Canada. It took us three or four days to get down there. And uh, uh, so the plane was full of aviation maps, and a lot of them were expired because every year there's a new one. And so I took the aviation maps of the trip we had just taken, and I taped them up on the walls of my dorm room. And my uh, my roommate thought that was the weirdest thing he'd ever seen because I got there the day before him, and he showed up and my half of the room had all these like 
weird maps because you know it's not like a world map. It's like a weird map of of Yukon territories. And he was like, "Who is this weirdo?" You told me that story, and I'm ashamed to admit that even though I was an extremely nerdy college student, I was the other guy in that story walking into the apartment full of National Geographic maps because I'd gotten there a day too late yeah. and been like, oh no, what am I? This was your what am roommate? I getting into? Yeah. My, it- my Canadian roommate, Sheldon, <laughs> had, had pre-National Geographic to the whole, the whole apartment. Did you end up getting along with Sheldon? Did, 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 his, did his map uh, thing make sense to you later? Well, I mean, I'm a huge map nerd. Like yes. as a kid, I had stolen all my grandparents' National Geographic maps from their basement National Geographic stash. Can confirm. I, I loved them. Yeah. Loved them, loved them. But liking, there's no way I was going to like decorate my college apartment in that. No, you weren't some nerd. I wanted girls over. Yeah, right. Uh, but apart from that, Sheldon and I got along great. I remember he brought a TV from, oh. from Canada, presumably. Oh, Mr. Fancy. But he also said, um, you know, he, he was uh, maybe a very strict strict social conservative when it came to media and he wanted us all to commit to never watching anything that would offend him on his tv oh right like he thought maybe the sin would accrue to him perhaps yeah. golden girls or something yeah, would, yeah. <laughs> we watched golden yeah. girls golden eye because then the sin much was anything, anything the sin golden. was in the tube and then you turn on and watch something it would good, be infected but, he wouldn't know he'd just be watching pm magazine and the, the sin would come through yeah. the the cathode rays that's about my only other sheldon story sheldon if you're listening i feel bad that i didn't embrace your Map geekery because those are some cool, those are some cool maps. Sheldon, you and me, buddy, all the way. Although you're I such hope a, you're such a Sheldon. I, I hope you've you've loosened up a little bit about the sin. And Sheldon was not yet a nerd stereotype name. I'm, this is not a hack joke. Oh, oh, I see. Right. It was he's actually named Sheldon, and that was a plausible name for a person. I believe it had the when Harry met Sally joke about how Sheldons are inherently non-sexual oh, had, uh-huh. had come out. Billy Crystal says you can't imagine saying somebody's name in a sexual fashion if they're named Sheldon. Uh, so, but that predates the Big Bang Theory by decades. Yeah, right. I mean, there was there was a famous Mad Magazine uh, parody where someone in the, or it was one of those movie reviews where somebody said, oh, you know, Bruce is a real effeminate name. Or, uh, you know, like you can't imagine a, a guy named Bruce who's very sexual and then in the background, the TV is playing and it says, Bruce Jenner wins the, you know, seventh Olympic gold medal. <laughs> but then, of course, they never could have predicted Caitlyn Jenner. They should have stuck with Bruce Wayne maybe for that reference. Oh, right. That's a good reference, Bruce Wayne. I always thought Bruce was a very masculine name. And I was shocked when I heard that was the go-to punchline. Maybe it is UK only? No, in the UK, Early it's an 80s. Australian joke. But it's a U, it's U.S. hacky comedy for a gay man. Yeah, Bruce. Which, which, come on. Like, what's more butch than Bruce? Bruce. I don't know, even know why. Because it ends with an S that you could kind of make sibilant if you were or doing that kind of a Bruce. hacky non-comedy. Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I remember a time when Bruce... But you do remember when that was the name, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, when Bruce was the, the go-to slur. Except that was also a time when, like, so many definitions of American masculinity were named Bruce. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen... Bruce Wayne. Can't explain it. You already mentioned Bruce Jenner on the Wheaties box. I feel like that is even, there's even some hack comedy about that very topic. Oh, maybe. That maybe in the 90s, I don't remember. Some guy with his sleeves rolled up (laughs) doing the full. Yeah. What of, Bruce is the the most macho name. Check it out. Bruce Boxleitner. 
Oh yeah, some guy Bruce with Boxleitner. Some guy with a tight five, tight five on Bruce Boxleitner. <laughs> he was well, the scarecrow and Mrs. King. Well, we definitely lived through an era where there were hit posters, Is, and that's over, I guess. I can't imagine that hit posters survived. My kids like posters, but they like very individual ones. Yeah. I have one kid with a bunch of mushroom identification posters. Right. I had those in in college, too. The Puget Sound Mycological Society uh, put out a poster every year, and I had three of them. But I think now it's more for the internet aesthetic of mushroom liking and not any actual nature appreciation. Like a drug thing or like oh, no, a, no, 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 no. Like like a Pokemon uh, like, thing? Like cottage core. Oh, sure. Um, pl- plus, you know, old-timey illustration, right. old, old lithographs of, of plants. And then what? What did my other kid have on the wall? Maybe anime? Yeah. Um, Maybe posters but, but, but are would, eternal. But it would definitely not be, you've got to have this poster this year. Whereas when you and I were in college, there were the hack posters that everybody had. Like, I'm the right age to have girls go in girls' apartments where they all had um, that poster of maybe the baby in the bicep. Do you remember this right, poster? Right, right, right. That's like a 90s thing. Well, or, everybody um, had the, the... Or the people slow dancing on the beach. The two angels uh, from oh, the Sistine Chapel, yeah. the two little uh, little cherubs. Often, often starry night, like the classy apartment, you'd have a fine art print. Well, there was the uh, there was the two people kissing in a Paris street, right? Or there's that um, where the, the Montmartre staircase, yep. with the gaslighting, um, not the literal gaslighting. The of course there was uh, fat cat capsizing. If you were a funny person, the picture uh-huh. of the fat cat. It was it was a triptych. There was the fat cat, and then there was the fat cat falling backward, and then there was just the fat cat's feet. It was a real oh, photograph. I don't remember this. You don't remember fat cat capsizing? It was a whole. It was a whole genre of. See, today fat cat capsizing would be like six hours of internet amusement, and you could still be like, you don't remember fat cat capsizing? Look, oh, look there it, up. it is. Do you remember fat cat capsizing now? I don't think I do. Oh, that was a thing. This might be my first look at fat cat capsizing. Maybe we should have done this episode on fat cat capsizing. It's not too late. I mean, hang in there, baby, can be something you would say to fat cat yeah. as he or she is capsizing. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm pro- going to buy fat cat capsizing, I've decided. It's really great. It, it's it's very hilarious. It's one of those... It, it kind of created the internet, yeah, right? Like, it's, it's a it's a lol cat uh, before lol cats, and it, it's a, I think it's the gift that keeps on giving, because every time you look at fat cat capsizing, you, you laugh anew. It never gets old. Just like my big Garfield watch. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. He still likes lasagna. But prior to that era of uh, poster, which I guess you would say was a late 80s, early 90s era of, yeah, kind of a friends era where yeah. uh, two, two single girls live alone in an apartment and they have a, they have a couple of these art prints, Montmartre and, and the, the couple kissing in the street. And maybe they didn't know, like, did everyone decide at the same time that this was an an authentic, not prefab look, so nobody knew how prefab it seemed when everybody had the same posters. I, I or guess. Or did you just want to blend in? I guess it was a, partly a want to blend in. You saw it at your friend's house, and it—I mean, even now, if you look at at the way houses are staged in real estate uh, ads, it's kind of generic. Yeah, and I have a few classy. things. That, like I have an old Art Nouveau, just a print of an old Art Nouveau, like a Mucha. Yeah advertising that i that i like and i know it's hacky and it looks like it's in a staged home 
and I don't care. But if you go to Ikea, you can buy a, a, a fairly big canvas with a picture of the Eiffel Tower yeah. or the Flatiron Building, and they still are affecting big black and white picture of the Flatiron Building. It does still communicate, oh, he's a he or she has a nice place, and it's not so nice that... I like when you're in that city and people, the rental apartment still has that ta- the, the hacky poster of the city. Right. The map of New York. And you're like, yeah, I get it. I'm right <laughs> oh, there. Oh, the Eiffel Tower. Right. And there are a ton of those, I think, in, in uh, little stores that sell small cactuses and tea towels um, and, you know, things that are branded locally. There's always going to be some poster of the local... Metro or, um, you know, I just bought one for my sister. That's a picture of every Washington state ferry boat. Oh, that's great. Because Washington state ferries are an endless source of love from Washington staters. You got a taxonomy something, if not mushrooms, what? But if you think back to the, to the 1980s, which I think of as, um, maybe late era, where the poster was a phenomenon, the posters of the 1980s, you did have the Heather Locklears uh, in bikinis, but also... A lot of teased hair in bikinis. The white uh, Lamborghini. You mm, surely remember right. when every dude had a white Lamborghini. Is this Nagel adjacent? Like Nagels. Pe- people would buy those in print form. Nagels uh, on a lot of walls. You had uh, still... My sister's room in 1982 was wall-to-wall Duran Duran posters. <laughs> and she made a point that there would be no exposed wall. Because that would be show insufficiency of love or devotion to Duran Duran. That's right. So she had a big face of each of them, and this was and full poster size. This was uh, at a time when they didn't airbrush them. So, <laughs> you know, the large... Like a like like Simon Lebon's face, where the face itself is larger than a garbage can lid. Um, you saw every pimple. He's twenty two. You know his face is covered with zits, and that's what they, girls want. They're all there, just as big as life. I would come into his room, and I'm like, you know, that zit is bigger than the end of my finger. I, I don't want. Why do I even want to be in this room? Why do I even? Why are you even my sister? It makes them approachable. Yeah. Duran Duran, they're just like us. Yeah, they changed their look an awful lot for the, in those first eight months. <laughs> but yeah, she would take she would cut things out of Hit Parader magazine, little tiny pictures, and and tape them up in between the other posters so no no wall was exposed. It was quite a art installation. You got to maximize your your Duranity. Your Duranity, and a lot of people had the poster from Pink Floyd's The Wall, or. Uh, or Let It Be, like those posters that came in the in oh, the sleeve. I had the Let It Be poster. You did. And this is a problem because I had it, it not in the early 70s, but in the early 90s. <laughs> I think I had some version of it where they were, um, you know, it's the four heads, but I had some version of it where they were all arranged left to right. Yeah, right. Like in a row. I The Beatles, when I say I had a Beatles poster, I did not have a Beatles poster. What I had was a Beatles Coke mirror that was in a frame of burned wood that you might get by popping balloons at the state fair. And the picture of the Beatles that was screen printed on a mirror 
was hand-drawn by someone. So it didn't look like the Beatles at all. It's off-model Beatles? It was super off-model. Paul McCartney looked like he'd been stung by bees. Like, they didn't look like themselves. Do they look more like the monkeys than themselves? Kind of. And I was... Uh, it had been given to me as a gift by someone in my family, so I was forced to hang it on my wall. And it <laughs> sat there like a throbbing beacon. Every time I would look at it, I'd go, oh, God, that doesn't look like the Beatles. I wish I didn't have to have it on my wall. You didn't. Well, I was. I, I had a lot of guilt and obligation as a child. So I was like, oh. Kids are also very lazy. Like, yeah. If you're not going to clean your room, if you're not going to put your clothes in the hamper, you're not going to change your posters change out. Change my poster. I liked the Porsche one. But the poster as a, as a decorative element, you know, it definitely has its first moment. If you think about the 1940s, no one was decorating their homes with posters, right? It was not yet a thing. And movie posters, of course, were and, – and there were posters as, as advertising forms. It was a sign of adulthood that you would not decorate with posters, Right? Yeah, but even, I mean, it was pre, it was during a time when if you lived on your own, you were an adult and you preferred to appear to be an adult. Yeah. You know, there wasn't that that crazy period that started in the late 50s and particularly 60s and now has expanded to be the entire universe where you could be a grown up and still a child. Um, I'm and, a grown up, but here are the bands. Exactly. I'm 35 years old, but all the, all my things, all the things on the wall are ironic and childlike that didn't exist in the fifties until, well, not at all in the fifties. I don't think, you know, if you turned 20, you stopped listening to pop and started listening to jazz until 1964. You could have jazz posters, but that's adulthood, but no posters, yeah, right? Not posters. You wouldn't have a poster. That's true. Um, you would have art or nothing. But in the 1960s, and in particular the late 60s, the rise of the psychedelic poster became a kind of phenomenon that went, that accompanied baby boomers um, growing into teenagers that had some authority over the their own style. And... Those originally, psychedelic posters originally started as advertisements for shows, um, you know, Grateful Dead concerts or whatever. And luckily people kept them. Were, were the posters good before they were art objects or did they become, did they start to become good when people started keeping them as mementos? No, they were designed as art objects in the sense of the recognition that psychedelia was a a new expression. And a lot of those First psychedelic posters, they took a lot of graphic design elements from Art Nouveau and and Art Deco. Um, so in a sense, they kind of were a retro – there were retro elements in them in, in their use of organic shapes. Mm -hmm. But they were very much, uh, very much a new form that – got repurposed almost immediately. So it became a, you know, initially it was something that was on a phone pole that said Grateful Dead, and it was so stylized you couldn't read it unless you were part of the subculture. And then that, you know, they got taken down and put on the walls, and it became a a new art form and a new, a new form of commerce, 
right away the poster was a a thing that that the that the baby boomers uh, recognized as a as a like a cultural phenomenon that belonged to them. I mean, if your life is a series of pop culture experiences, which is kind of what the baby boomers gave us. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, they didn't have a war to fight or anything. Well, Vietnam. Yeah. Good job. But um, like, it's going to be a it's going to be a better memento of your life than what do you even have a ticket stub? Like you you want to have something better to display aesthetically more elaborate could see why posters fill that niche yeah and they quickly uh, they quickly expanded from rock posters to um you know posters advertising happenings and then posters advertising just the, the a state of being you know like uh, we did the episode on the love logo right and it was a uh, you know an example of what is that advertising? It's just advertising ideas, and it's an example of the influence of pop art. If you want something on your wall that connotes love, the word love would have seemed a little on the nose in the 1500s, right? But now, you know what? What more modern way to convey love? You know how could how could any nodding cherubim? You know, looking over, <laughs> leaning on their, with their chin on their fingers, you know. Looking what, cutely up. How could that convey love any better than a modern framing of the word love? Yeah, right. And, and, and all of that was, yeah, part of a, part of an expanded consciousness. And that also coincided with the large scale popularization of day glow colors. Mm. Like fluorescent colors were really only invented in fluorescent paints were only invented in the thirties and they were used primarily, uh, you know, military applications. Um, and it was only, they kind of, they kind of got, uh, more popular in the fifties. If you think about Tide detergent, it had day glow packaging. That's true. And I remember as a kid, you know, getting the the first Crayola crayons that came in kind of day glow fluorescent colors and just realizing, wait, this is not a color I can blend from the other 64 crayons. Like yeah, that's right. science has finally invented some new colors. Some new stuff, right. And and the the uh the popularization of a black light mm. uh, added this element to day glow posters. That was like, okay, we're onto something completely new now. I missed this. I mean, am I just too, if I had had stoner friends, would I have been, yeah. would there have been overlap with blacklight poster culture even in the eighties? Well, not into the eighties yeah, in my experience. That's what I thought. But when I was a kid, my cousin Stevie had a blacklight poster of Cheech and Chong <laughs> in his bedroom. He was a few years older than me and he would turn on his blacklight and we would look at Cheech and Chong and it was, uh, you know, it was definitely trippy. But I remember in the 70s, the mid-70s, when you would go over to an older kid's place or you'd see an older kid's bedroom, they often had blacklight posters. You know, if you think about the cover of Cream's Disraeli Gears, it was trippy. And also, if you looked at it under blacklight, it... it because it, Isn't know, that monochromatic, the cover of Disraeli Gears? No, it's all... Oh, I'm picturing Wheels on color. Fire. Um. 
Right, 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 right. Right? It's it's like, it's pretty heavy. And this uh, kind of coincided with the use of flocking on posters. You got this kind of three-dimensional flocking is like black velvet. So the black in a in a psychedelic poster or a, a, a dayglow poster was actually... It's like textured so it doesn't reflect yeah, light. Yeah, it was tactile. Yeah. Uh, felt furry. And then, it, then the black light went on and the colors just like really because it cut the black that makes down. the black black yeah. yeah um and actually black light posters became a f- um became a new media for uh like black radicalism in poster art and there was a whole subgenre of black light poster that was uh you know kind of advertising and accentuating images and icons of of black radical culture so mm. you know like a, a a nude woman in a with an afro holding an AK47 in psychedelic black light flocked poster and there were a lot of those in fact i remember a family a uh, family friend had black light posters of uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King in their dining room White friend? No. Okay. Black friend. That would have been very unusual for a white family well, got, in the 70s. You still got the naked woman with the AK-47 above your fireplace. I do. Which is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why it has to be 16 feet high, but it's a really good... Well, because it's I... It's a really had, monumental uh, statement. Because I bought a 20-foot tall blacklight fluorescent tube, and uh, I needed a poster to... Blacklight is beautiful. I'm feeling really pleased with myself today, John, because I remembered to cancel a TV channel during the seven-day free trial period. Wow. How did you even manage to do it? You you watched TV for a couple of days, and you were like, this is not for me? I watched the one movie I wanted to see on this channel, and then I had to set a little notify update on my phone to remind me to cancel the damn thing before it became $5.99 a month. I've been paying for an app for a year and I have never used it once. And every week I say, oh, i got to cancel that thing. And I still haven't done it. That's why they want you to sign up for those things. Yeah. Because they think you'll forget to unsubscribe. And even though you don't use the Surface, they'll just keep siphoning money off you for months to come. Yeah, they hope, it, they hope it never goes away, right? You forget about it. We want to recommend to you Truebill. If you were to download Truebill, it would manage all your subscriptions for you. It'll figure out what stuff you're not using but you're still paying for which ones you forgot about. The average Truebill user saves about $720 a year. You know, not everybody is as circumspect as you and I are about subscribing to things, right? People, I think, in the contemporary economy recognize that subscriptions are how you get the things that you want, but they also are susceptible to a lot of things that they don't want to pay for anymore. And and companies specifically make it hard to cancel, you know? So you've got to know where on the site to do it. Here's all the hoops you have to jump through. Truebill will do that automatically for you. That's why I still get Time Magazine. Peace of mind. They have over 2 million users and have collectively saved them over $100 million. So how do I use Truebill? It's easy, John. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today by going to truebill.com slash omnibus. So... You're saying if I go to truebill.com slash omnibus, it could save me thousands a year? That's right. Truebill.com slash omnibus. So it was psychedelia and psychedelic posters and black light posters and that whole, 
universe of poster as, uh, you know, like signifier of alternative culture was a thing that, you know, that reciprocated with the culture. If you think about the iconography of Laugh-In, right? That's just a lot of those yeah. uh, elements are just taken from posters. They're in a world of big colors. Yeah, they're in they the, the in poster. The poster. Right. Same with Yellow Submarine. Yep. Yeah. Right. That that style of art and the poster were kind of, uh, the, the, I guess that art came from posters first. It's interesting. Ten years earlier, your 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 lifestyle would have matched your pop culture tastes, but in a, in a different way. You know, you would have somebody would have had to come over and leaf through your records, or or poke through your bookshelves, or in my childhood, your VCR tapes, your VHS tapes. Uh huh. Um, whereas suddenly. Poster culture turns your pop culture taste into decor. It's you know it's it's rising to surround you just like it is the people on Laugh In or in the Peter Max cartoons, right? And so then there's the band poster and the and then this is when the movie poster first ends up as a as an element of decor, right? If you have a poster of Casablanca. Or, you know, you go down to the movie theater and you could get these posters. You could, Yeah, they just had all these old three sheets that had just been sitting in a projection booth for 30 years. Right. And they, uh, and so now you could be, like, uh, psychedelic stuff might have seemed a little bit for the kids. But if you put up a poster of Annie Hall, yeah. you looked like, like an esthete. Or specifically one of these 40s movies. I think Casablanca is right. Yeah. Right down the plate. Yeah, right. And I remember being shocked, like well into the 2000s that um you know thinking oh you know it'd be fun to have some movie posters on my walls and just realizing yeah if you want to pay thousands of dollars it's cool to have movie posters on your walls otherwise you got to buy kind of these shoddy little re- re- reproduction right prints shrunken reproductions I, there was definitely a time in the 90s when having a a, a big tear sheet for a french film a godard film Hanging in your living room was a was a sign that you were or how about a, this cut above the weird French or even better Eastern European poster for an American film. Yeah, those are great. Some crazy Polish guys take on what The Shining's iconography is or something. There, there is a, a store down in Georgetown even now, like a like a very curated kind of vintage furniture store, and in the back they have a collection of Eastern European. Um, posters for exploitation movies. <laughs> uh, you know, like like they were American films, but it was like the Great Texas Dynamite Chase, except translated into Polish and with a. I would have been surprised to hear that those movies ever made it to Poland. Yeah, and and I really wanted to buy those posters, but I could never. You know, I I would they would take me back and let me see them in the back, but I could never. I never found the right one. You know, there was mm. there was one that had a. I was looking for that had like a gun and a naked girl and a car making a jump through fire. I had to learn not to be the slave of that, you know, because yeah. when you, you know, you, you kind of want the one piece that'll do everything and you can never have it. You can never have it. If, yeah. if, if any artist did paint that, that had all the classic iconography, you couldn't afford it. Anymore. Yeah. It would just blow your mind and that would be the end. And then everybody would have it. It'd be like fat cat capsizing. Don't let the best finish poster be the enemy of the good finish poster or whatever. <laughs> well, going back to, um, going back to the mid sixties, 
Let's set the Wayback Machine to the late 50s. Whoa. I thought we were making progress here, but... Sorry, we're going to go back. Um, a Los Angeles photographer by the name of Victor Baldwin had been making a, a career taking celebrity photographs for celebrity magazines. You know, we're talking about Frank Sinatra era. And he and his wife were... Uh, her, he and his wife, Jean, were... Or I guess Jean... How do you pronounce J-E-A-N-N-E? It's Jean or... Sometimes it's, Jean- sometimes it's Jeannie. It could probably just be Jean. Let's just say Jean. Uh, Victor Baldwin and his wife, Jean, uh, they loved aminals. Okay. And um, he was taking pictures of celebs, but he also liked taking pictures of kitty cats and dogs. And... He actually became the photo editor at Cat Fancy Magazine <laughs> in the mid-60s. Um, Is that a step up from Sinatra? No. Later? No, probably not. But in the He's probably still doing both freelance. In the late fix- 50s, he and Gene uh, took pictures of their own pets, uh, in particular a Siamese cat by the name of Simi, and they produced a children's book called Little Kitten Big World. <laughs> and it was a, a photo book of, uh, of Simi engaged in adventures in the wider world. And, you know, as everybody knows, a Siamese cat is, well, hideous, but a lot of people think they're cute. Full of personality, they at least. They get a lot of personality. Their eyes often cross in a, in a cute and endearing way. And little Simi... Got up to some adventures and and Little Kitten Big World sold well. And Victor was like a photographer that liked to work. He liked to take pictures. He wasn't, it wasn't a slog for him. I don't think he liked taking pictures of Frank Sinatra as much as kittens. Who would? Right. And whether or not it was... Um, Let's say you could be in a room full of kittens or a room full of Frank Sinatras. What kind of cafe would you go to? Mm, I think I would pick kittens. 100% kittens. So he was working uh, by by this time as the uh, cat or the photo editor not only of Cat Fancy but of Dog Fancy magazine. Both <gasps> They're printed by the same outfit? Both magazines. You should not be able to work for both Cat and Dog Fancy. Pick a side. They they uh, th- those magazines came or began began in the mid 60s. Are they still around? Well, sadly... I use Cat Fancy as a joke, but I don't think it's still around. Sadly, Cat Fancy in... I don't think you're going to like this. Okay. In uh, 2015, Cat Fancy was no more. It changed its name to Catster. Whoa. And Dog Fancy changed its name to Dogster. No, I don't like that at all. No, I know. Even if you're trying to update the name Cat Fancy... Uh, that seems like a terrible idea. Catster and Dogster, and Catster and Dogster are internet communities now. Um, are there any successful magazines where the name itself is a coinage, like a word that doesn't exist? Catster? I can't think of one. Um, I don't know. I can think of a magazine. I used to know every magazine. I guess, um, you know, Newsweek is two words put together, but Catster is not a thing. I mean, yeah. What would you say? No, catster is not a thing. And 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 cat fancy was definitely a thing. Cat fancy used to sell pretty well. Well, let me tell you, the um 
the Baldwins were deeply in the cat fancy, dog fancy world, and uh, they love taking pictures of fancy cats and fancy dogs. Fancy does not convey the luxury of the cats, right? Mm. It conveys the, you're a cat fancier. You fancy cats. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's about you, the viewer, the fandom you have. The But I think as time went on, I mean, what the internet is great at now is like, here's my regular ass cat doing cat things. Mm-hmm. But I think as Cat Fancy evolved, you needed to find fancier and fancier cats. So they're surrounded by more elaborate Yeah, big fluffy cats and, and those tall cats that look like they're African wild cats that have big ears and can jump 15 feet straight up. Um, you had to have some reason to justify, you know, then here's like Joe Schmo's tabby. You've seen a lot of tabbies by this point. All tabbies kind of look alike. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem with Dog Fancy Magazine is that all dogs of a certain breed and coloration are, yeah. like, they're like bajergas. But they're with, basically indistinguishable. With dogs, you have a thousand breeds. With cats, there are breeds, of course, but who cares? I mean, the question, wow. the question of a cat is, like, is it a nice cat or is it a lame cat? And speaking as someone who has had a lot of nice cats but who's known a lot of people with lame cats, yeah. just, just bogus cats. I don't mean lame, like injured. I mean, they are bogus. They're not fun. They're yeah. We need to bring back bogus. It, it, it doesn't have the ableist connotations of lame. Yeah. No, they're bogus. Yeah. Um, I can't stand a bogus cat. Anyway, uh, little kitten, big world was successful enough that, uh, the Baldwins made another, uh, well, they had another photo shoot, uh, this time using their Siamese kitty uh, named Sassy. And they did a lot of, uh, they did a lot of, you know, sets with Sassy. Sassy was a pretty sassy little kitty and Sassy liked to climb around and, and, uh, and do kind of cat trobatics. Uh, um, and, Sassy, uh, and in the mid-60s, kind of a, around the time uh, that Little Kitten Big World, around the time they were, they were uh, publishing Cat Fancy, mm-hmm. they did a photo shoot with Sassy, and they kind of kept the, uh, the, the Sassy photos, kept them in reserve. I think they published them in, in Cat Fancy. They were popular little snaps. But they had like so many kitty pictures to to play with back then. The sassy pictures didn't really um didn't really like lead it to the four. It wasn't immediate. No. It's not like the photo of Jack Ruby getting shot. Or no. sorry, of uh, Ruby shooting Oswald. No. They were just among the thousands of cat pictures they had. But in nineteen seventy they decided to uh to create another photo book for children of kitty cats. This one called the outcast kitten. And it told the story of sassy who had a, who had a stage name in the book. She was called wiki in the book. And wiki was a lost kitten that was adopted by a new mom cat that had a couple of cats of her own. Are they actually getting publishers to put these out as children? Yeah. Books? These are children's books. These are, and they're, these they're, are respectable they're not like self-publishing this no. crud about their own cats. No, the they're successful, can today. successful books. I mean, this was a time when children's books were, yeah. were uh, all the rage. 
And, um, and one of the pictures of Sassy in the book was a picture, uh, the, the story went that Wiki, Sassy's uh, gnome de guerre, mm-hmm. uh, she was trying to impress her new adoptive mother and uh, her, her new adoptive siblings, kitty siblings, by doing some stunts. And one of the stunts she did was uh, grab a hold of a, of a bamboo pole and hang there kind of in a pull-up, like a chin-up position. Is this something the cat enjoys? Well, the picture of the cat makes it seem like they're uh, hanging on, hanging on for dear life. Sure. But according to the Baldwins, Sassy was a very curious cat and often would get in precarious predicaments and uh, Sassy's feet would slip and Sassy would be hanging on to a pole but, you know, the, it was never much of a drop and Sassy was always, always initiating the adventures herself. So Victor said that in taking the pictures that, that eventually became the book, The Outcast Kitten, he didn't stage it at all. He just had his camera at the ready and whenever... Oh, he didn't even, it wasn't him even putting her in situations she'd already been in. He just waited to see what kind of crazy antics. That's right. Waited to see what Sassy would do and then would snap the picture. Um, and so, so the outcast, outcast kitten sold well. And, uh, the picture on the back of the book was this picture of Sassy hanging on a bamboo pole. And, Baldwin started to get letters from fans of the book saying, Hey, we love that picture of Sassy hanging from a a pole. Can you send us a picture? Can you send us that picture? Cause we'd like to put it up on the wall next to our poster of creams, Disraeli gear. (laughs) So this is actually coming from young outsider culture, young Fans and and probably the moms and dads of kids that loved the book saw something in the picture and wanted copies of it. Okay. And so after getting a you know a, a few requests, also they he published the picture again in Cat Fancy as part of um you know it was a page that said hey subscribe to Cat Fancy with a little card that you would send in and. And this picture of Sassy hanging from the bamboo pole was used to sell Cat Fancy magazine within Cat Fancy magazine. And so people also wrote in to Cat Fancy saying, hey, can, can we have a copy of that picture? Right. So uh, fatefully, Victor Baldwin decided, you know, I'm going to make it a poster and sell it. And he sort of spontaneously... Uh, decided to put the phrase hang in there, baby on the poster kind of in little type in the bottom half, hang in there, baby. This would have been unusual at the time, right? These posters, you know, a poster like that might've said cat fancy magazine, but it didn't usually come with its own slogan. Well, up until this point, posters that had slogans on them were political. Yeah, that's true. Fight the power you know, there were anti-Vietnam War posters that had pictures of children uh, that were victims of bombings. Right. There were Black Panther posters. There were all kinds of protest posters. But there really weren't any posters quite like this one. 
And he, he framed it and hung it in the window of his studio, which had a, you know, a front window out in Los Angeles, kind of in a, in a sort of Nagel style. Yeah. And, uh, no less than Meredith Wilson, the composer of the music man. What? Oh, right. Happened to be, talk about, uh, talk about, a uh, a name that, that maybe has changed over time. I told you, I thought, I had thought about doing this topic as an omnibus. And I think this was why I loved the fact that suddenly Meredith Wilson, Meredith Wilson arrives on the scene with 110 cornets close behind. <laughs> he sees this poster of the cat saying, hang in there, baby. And he loved it. He just he just can't stop laughing, I bet. And he asked for it to be framed and bought the first copy of the poster from the window. <laughs> and, I mean, clearly took it home and, and put it on the wall of what would have been presumably an elegant Beverly Hills house. Celebrity taste maker Meredith Wilson. And pretty soon Baldwin was getting... Uh, orders for this poster and it just resonated in a way that um that you kind of can't account for now but what it did was it was effectively the first motivational poster right the first one that was both funny but also kind of moving like Hard, hey, hard to imagine there was a time when this didn't exist. Yeah. That every public space was not full of certain kinds of upbeat, mood-promoting posters telling you that reading was good or that kindness is important or whatever. Yeah, this was this cat that appeared to be, you know, like at its wit's end. And and what's great about it is you can't see where the floor is, right? The 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 cat could be dangling o- over a cliff. I mean, the, I, uh, the sense that the Baldwins gave was that uh, that you know Sassy fell about a foot <laughs> when she finally slipped off the bamboo pole. Right. But it really, in particular, as the '60s turned into the '70s and a kind of collective malaise set in in the country. Uh, and around the world where the social revolutions kind of hadn't happened uh, like they, like it seemed like they might in 1968 and everything sort of turned Nixonian and inflation ridden. Yeah. Um, this, this, uh, this like encouragement to hang in there, baby, even as things got, got bad, um, it's, it's advice that works for everything. Yeah. Gas prices are high. Hang, hang in, in there, there baby. baby. President's corrupt. Hang in there, baby. Hang in there, baby. And it's, it's never wrong. It's like, it's, you know, it's the, it's the slightly dumbed down version of just telling a friend, this too shall pass. This you know? too shall pass. It seems wise, but really you're not, you haven't actually discovered or said anything. By 1973, he had sold 350,000 copies of this poster. Wow. It was the first truly a massive hit. Up until now, the New York Times didn't even have a poster bestseller chart. (laughs) That's right. And he was selling these at $2 a pop. So in 1973, he had grossed $750,000 or um, (laughs) $700,000 in poster sales, selling this cat hanging from a pole that he had, and he'd taken the picture 10 years prior. 
And yeah, there's he has no costs. I mean, right. He's he's just minting money. And he kind of couldn't stand it because he loved to take pictures of cats. He didn't <laughs> like to take he didn't like to sell posters of cats. And he became his job became and eventually became an industry uh hiring people just to sell just to 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 ship this poster to people around the world who wanted hang in their baby. It became immediately a um a much copied poster. There were a lot of bootleg pictures of it itself, but also it doesn't take much to to take a cat and hang it from a pole. He probably has very little protection from from cop from lookalikes. What do you what do you do if somebody takes the slogan word for word? That's a violation of trademark. Well, it might it might surprise you, but he was incredibly litigious, <laughs> and he did it because of the principle of it. He didn't really it. He wasn't exactly suing for damages. He just couldn't believe that people would steal his idea, and it was everywhere. And it also became a it became a meme one of the original memes because it could be used and employed in all kinds of ways. You know, you could put almost any character in a, a tricky situation and say, hang in there, baby. Do you and think, does that mean some of the ones we remember seeing are actually knockoffs? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There were, you know, there was a cat hanging from a shower curtain. There was a cat hanging from a, from a rope. Um, and also just a lot of hang in there baby posters that were his exact poster that had just been reproduced, but he sold, he sued the Hallmark corporation. Um, he really tried to protect his copyright and was successful, but not successful because although he sold probably a million of them, he estimated that there were 10 million hang in there baby posters out there, uh, produced by a variety of you know, in every every single kind of way, but also it sparked the genre of the poster as, um, like you were saying, you know, motivational, inspirational posters. I mean, it takes a certain kind of person to hang that at home. Maybe maybe it's weird to have one of those in your kitchen, although many people did. But there's all kinds of people wanting to furnish public spaces like or quasi-public spaces, offices and lobbies and hotel rooms and libraries and community centers where they need kind of inoffensive, cheap wall art, right? And that's what, that is the the dark legacy that the Baldwins were really sorry about. What they then ushered in completely, you know, it, was, it the whole genre yeah. got completely co-opted by corporate um break rooms and corporations would decorate all their public spaces with these like cheer up. Don't be sad. Keep working. It's not so bad. Don't be lazy. You know, like it's not intended that way, but it really does seem a little Orwellian to have a company telling you be in a good mood and work harder, lucky. And there then developed a whole school of cultural criticism that interrogated the idea of the motivational poster, is it truly motivational or is it, you know, does it actually destroy one's soul? Do you remember the demotivational posters of the nineties? Were you going to cover those? No, but, but they're, but they're the parody, you know, they're the inevitable parody of it. And working in tech, you know, those are, those are people who are 
a right. little too smart and jaded to you know to believe the the approved sunny corporate take on everything. So if you worked in tech in the late nineties, early two thousands, you saw a lot of these um, guy at a computer like the internet. It's so great. Often they have kind of a clip art, um, a traditional sunny looking clip art image with a subversive take on it in the caption. Like we had one at my office where it had like a a matchbox with a single match flaring in it. And it's, it says something about like burning out, pass it along, pass it on or something like that. You know? <laughs> I mean, David Reese's book and comic strip, exactly. get your war on. Exactly. It's kind of the, the publicly accessible version of get your war on. Yeah. And I mean, I, I talk a lot about the poster that used to hang in my school lunchroom where a man with a mustache uh, had a funnel for a head and lemons were pouring into it and right. then lemonade came out his nose. We have talked about this. Yeah. I've but, never seen that. But you know, the poster then also became the dentist office poster. Yeah. But another thing he issued or he ushered in was the photograph as poster. Oh, right. Because up until then it had been art. It was just art. And even movie posters were art. But now you just took a good picture and had either a slogan or not even a slogan. And it became a thing, you know, a, a, a photograph of Andy Partridge or, uh, and then most famously, a photograph of Farrah Fawcett. And Farrah Fawcett. Oh, so even pinups. Yeah. As, as a mass culture phenomenon, not as, you know, somebody, in, a guy in a, garage ripping a centerfold out of a magazine that post dates hang in there baby and you know it's 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 not clear um you know you can't say like oh the farrah fawcett poster is a direct result of hang in there baby right but in, in 1976 the poster the photograph by bruce mcbroom mcbroom um it sold 12 million copies, becoming the most <laughs> famous photograph, you know, the most famous of all the posters of all the posters, the whole poster universe, right? She was 29 years old, not yet a star. She wasn't yet, uh, Charlie's Angels hadn't come out oh, yet. Oh, right. This was six months before Charlie's Angels. This isn't like the TV tie-in bikini things that some of my friends would have had. No, she was- You I know mean, Heather Locklear from- yeah, from whatever that was. Matt, uh, Falk and Chris? No, wasn't she in the one with uh, with Captain Kirk where he was a cop and she was T.J. Hooker. T.J. Hooker. Yeah. But Farrah Fawcett, you know, she'd been a bit part actress. I mean, I saw her in an early episode of The Partridge Family as like a, a girlfriend of Keith Partridge. Um, but she was not yet a superstar. But this poster predated her her fame as an actress and became like the most, I mean, I remember seeing that Farrah poster everywhere. Um, I never had one cause I, I wouldn't want to betray the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. <laughs> you know, I got, uh, this is an argument I have with uh, a friend where I very much have the aesthetic that um, photography is fine art. It actually doesn't work for me. I don't like it on walls. Hmm. I don't even like care about it that much in museums or galleries. Mm hmm. Um, and he is very much the other way. You Photography know, like, is fine it, art. It, it's the, and it's the ultimate fine art. It matches his aesthetic perfectly. 
And I wonder if, I mean, we're the same age, so it's not a generational gap, but I feel like I did come from a time when, you know, there is something classy conveyed by a, a Richard Avedon or, or Stiglitz photo, but, um, but that still says magazine to me more than, you know, the effort that comes with any kind of, you know, painting or even lithograph or whatever else said fine art to me as a kid. And I'm very resistant to, there seems to be something kind of mass market about art photography. And I wonder if it's because I came up in a time when photography on walls was hang in there, baby. Yeah. And, you know, Michael Jordan or the cast of 321 Contact telling me that reading was fundamental. Ski posters. Ski posters. Yeah. uh, When Friends was very popular, there was a poster of Kramer. Michael Richards, yeah. right? Except it had been done as an oil painting. And I remember seeing it on dorm room walls and thinking that it was a, a real inversion of it. Uh, that if that was just a picture of Kramer, you would think, oh, you're pretty, you know, like you're pretty cheesy. But because it was a poster of a painting of Kramer. Because there is an episode where Kramer gets that portrait painting. Yeah. I'm sure that's what it is. And it was, but it was a thing that like you could hang in your living room uh, between two and five years after you graduated from college. You know, as soon as you had a girlfriend, you you had to take it down. But But there is some, this is not a pipe thing to seeing a fake oil painting of a celebrity photograph. Yeah. It had two layers or three layers. But hang in there, baby, really is the 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 precursor of lolcats, right? It is the yeah. original, uh, the original like Cat Fancy magazine was for cat fanciers. But this was a thing where uh, America's funniest home animals, like the 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 idea that you could take a you could take a picture of an animal, put a put an anthropomorphized uh, like slogan on it, and it would bring you endless merriment. Who who could have predicted that ninety percent of all content produced by the human race would someday be just traced cat, back cats doing regular stuff, yeah. like in a poster? Well, I know you hate it, but hang in there, baby. And that concludes "Hang in There, Baby" entry five six six dot mt two four one three. Certificate number 19046 in the omnibus. Let me tell you, John, social media, it's full of lolcats. Yes. That's the best case scenario. It's 100%. You open a post on some platform, you are hoping that it's a cat doing something amusing. You can has cheeseburger, Ken. Or a puppy doing something cute. Yeah. Cats are funny. Puppies are cute. Yeah. That's, that's You have to decide what your aesthetic is. I'll watch uh, videos of cats getting surprised and jumping straight up in the air. I'll watch those all day. It doesn't. It didn't expect to see a zucchini there. Who would? No. I'll watch no cats. No one could predict a zucchini I'll, being right there. I'll watch them peer around a corner and be spooky. You know, like, whatever you got. Or is it cucumbers? What scares them the most? I can't remember. Cucumbers. It's a I cucumber, I, right? I, yeah, I don't think you'd want a zucchini. Has anyone ever tried a zucchini? That's, well, that would be weird. You know, what kind of a freak would do that? <laughs> yeah. Why do you even own that? <laughs> um, but, you know, there was a lot of worse stuff than that on social media. Not wanting to miss a second of it, we were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick, respectively at Omnibus Project jointly. Uh, if you wanted to email us your funny cat photos. I'm really into getting, uh, I'm really getting into more exotic animals, you know. Q 
cute baby taper, cute yep. baby capybara, cute baby owl. More of oh, that, please. Oh, no. Baby owls are not cute. Because they got the long legs. Yeah, they're horrifying. You, you want to pretend that owls don't look like that. I just asked the internet, uh, zucchini versus cucumber. And here's what came up. Cucumbers are generally hard, waxy, and cool to the touch, while zucchini are more warm and yielding. Wait, wait, wait. Why did they assume that you wanted to do something unseemly? I don't know. With this gourd. This is, this is like top of the line if you search for it. I think it knows what you've been searching zucchini for lately. Zucchini are more warm and yielding with a slight grittiness under the fingertips. It knows your past search history. Yeah. And it just assumes that all of your <laughs> Google searches have insertion in mind. Uh-huh. Most cucumbers have a bumpy exterior, but Lebanese cucumbers have smooth skin. Oh, good to know. That's not telling me the difference between cucumbers and zucchini. Just like Casey Kasem and all Lebanese celebrities. Lebanese mm-hmm. cucumbers have a smooth skin. Jamie Farr famously smooth. S- such smooth skin. What's up with the... Uh, this is off the subject, but this episode's already pretty long. That's weird. Have you seen the Seattle billboards for the um, some truck stop down by the airport? And it shows like a beautiful, like possibly Lebanese woman. And it's like, come to Maruka's truck stop. It seems like the weirdest thing to be within the city limits of Seattle. I have not left my home in months. You need to drive through the part of Georgetown that has this puzzling billboard. Come to... So you can explain it to me. A truck stop. I mean, I, as soon as I know where it is, I will go to that truck stop immediately because I'm kind of a connoisseur of But it's, it's like a glamorous headshot of this, um, you know, beautiful, this exotic beauty. Yeah. And it's implied that, you know, the reason why you would want to go to this truck stop is for the the charms of, of Layla or whoever, whoever this woman is. Is this maybe one of those bikini espresso things where it's a truck stop, but all the all the, the people working there are Lebanese maybe, women in bikinis? But it's named for the woman like she's the owner. Oh, I, I don't understand. It. Maybe she is. Maybe I did see this billboard. I remember now having this experience of like, is she the owner of the truck stop? I don't, I don't remember. I'm supposed to go to a truck stop because the owner is very beautiful. I guess. I mean, I wouldn't hold it against her. If I was going to go to a, I mean, I, I sometimes go to that flying J truck stop down in Fife because you (laughs) can, because why? Because you can get off and it's, you can get off there and it's big, not get off in that way. You can, you can get off the freeway in advance of Tacoma. You don't have to go into Tacoma, risk getting hit by a lahar and, uh, and then, and it's a full truck stop. You know, it's like one you would find out in the Midwest. Yeah. Except it's close to a town. But we don't have those here, really. But if the if the owner was beautiful, that's the the pitch strongly made by this billboard. I might I might take a detour. Do you mean getting hit by like a Nissan Lahar, which is a, a crossover <laughs> I just invented in my head? The new Nissan Lahar. There should be a Lahar, right? Eventually, if you can drive a Tacoma. Uh, Lahar will be the ultimate name of Tacoma when they rebuild the city right. 600 feet higher than it currently is. Did I do the email address? Why are we even talking about Who knows? cucumbers? Oh, you just interrupted me to start talking about cucumbers. That's Where are why. we now? Uh, please uh, send us your lolcats to the omnibus project at gmail.com or send us your, your funny uh, 1990s and 80s and 90s motivational posters mm-hmm. to all your uh, bikini posters. Send all your Heather Thomas Fall Guy posters. To or 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 those those nudie calendars that uh, that hung in gas stations that that really predates all of this. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, but I don't want those. Send those to John Roderick, yep. care of Omnibus Project, PO Box five five seven four four, Shoreline, Washington nine eight one five five. Did get those naked 
pictures? So, somebody sent us somebody sent us a, a Playboy coffee table book, I think. Well, that, but also there was uh, that uh, friend of the show who was a oh, like a, right. a party glamour photographer, photographer. Yeah, who sent us uh, like a like a naked girl on a Porsche. Uh, all, it combines all my interests. Of, yeah, of all the things we've ever been sent, like that's the one that I knew had the most <laughs> lines of coke done off it. <laughs> I forgot to mention Pierre Trudeau. Omnis hero Pierre Trudeau had uh, hang in there, baby, hanging in his office when he was uh, when he was the prime minister of Canada, and uh. when when his son uh, <laughs> when his son took over the premiership, he got the poster out of storage, and it's currently hanging. No, not in the office, but in an anteroom of his uh, of his office. I love how this confirms my idea of Canada as kind of a a sensible budget version of America. Yeah. Like, you know, as, as Jimmy Carter, as Jimmy Carter was, he would never have hung a cat poster in the Oval Office. Oh. But in Canada, sure. Oh, I Why for- not? I, I forgot the best part of this episode. In 1973, Spiru Agnew <laughs> was sent a copy of Hang In There, Baby that had been signed by 100 members of Congress. They passed it around. In support of, yeah. of, of embattled Vice President Spiro Agnew. Yeah, trying to get him not to resign. A hundred members of Congress signed Hang In There, Baby, and presented it to Spiro Agnew. Is there, a, is there a cat poster you now send the president when you want him to resign? Is there some <laughs> Let's Go Brandon cat that I, that I live in the wrong state to be aware of? A celebrity cat? <laughs> no, you send Doge... You send Doge yeah, Dog. Yeah, exactly. It's a Shibu Inu mean. Yeah. Do those ever trend right? Probably. Now that the crypto guys took over. The left can't Shiba mean, Ken. <laughs> the left can't mean. They stole our frog. <laughs> uh, you can look for futurelings. This is a rare outro in that it has much more content about <laughs> about the the episode than it does about uh, our email addresses. We're not anywhere near the longest episode of Omnibus, but we're way longer than I thought I was going to get out of Hang In There, baby. We're not even close to the Mercedes 600. Uh, the uh, Find the future links online to complain about uh, this outro or the sound effects bed under it. Uh, look for them on Facebook or Discord or Reddit, but only do that after you have carefully evaluated whether or not you can donate or increase your donation <laughs> to the Omnibus at <laughs> patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. We don't have a hit poster, so we need your support. In fact, people did send Hang In There Baby to Nixon, but it was unsigned and both Nixon and Agnew both resigned. I can't so. think of anybody less likely to be persuaded by a, a poster than <laughs> Than Richard Nixon. Quakers don't believe in posters. Hey, hang in there, baby. What does that even mean? That's that's a, Communist. that's a terrible Nixon. Yeah, I'm sorry. Futurelings from our vantage point, having grown up in rooms that, if they didn't actually have posters on them, at least we knew kids that did have posters on their walls. I had a poster in my closet. Embarrassed to say. Uh, we have no idea how long this bankrupt civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.